This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. William Mortimer Beekman had only been a resident of Kern County a few years, but it didn't take him long to establish himself in the community. The wealthy rancher ran unsuccessfully for Kern County Supervisor in 1907. A few months after losing that election, in January of 1908, the rancher-turned-politician was seriously injured in an accident on his property south of Bakersfield off of Union Avenue. Beekman's injuries were serious, life-threatening head injuries. His wounds required surgery, and he remained hospitalized for several weeks. On the morning of March 18, 1908, William Beekman, while still in the hospital, died from pneumonia. William Mortimer Beekman was 53 years old. The wealthy man was survived by his wife, Minnie Beekman, three adult children from a previous marriage, and four minor children he had with Minnie. A year later, tragedy befell the family once again, killing Beekman's widow, Minnie, and all four of her children. Was it a terrible accident or murder? That was the question on everyone's mind in Bakersfield. This is a 1909 mystery. Remember, I welcome suggestions for future stories. If you have a story idea, you can contact me through the website, NotoriousBakersfield.com. Click the contact link to send me a message. And while you're at NotoriousBakersfield.com, you can show your support. Click the support link to buy me a cup of coffee. Be sure to follow the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Pictures related to each episode, including this one, are posted to those social media pages. Visualize Bakersfield in 1908 or 1909. The Ford Model T debuted in October of 1908. Dirt and gravel roads still outnumbered paved roads. Living in the country back then, on the outskirts of Bakersfield, really isn't what it's like today. Heck, back then, if you lived in Rosedale or off of South Union Avenue, you lived in the boondocks. And the Beekman family ranch was in the boondocks on South Union Avenue near Hosking Road. So it was a ways out of town. I don't know where the city limits were back then, but the Bakersfield Californian at that time said the Beekman home was seven miles out of town. As often happens after someone dies, especially when someone who has money like William Beekman had and who had children from two different wives, a dispute erupted over his estate. William Beekman's estate was worth $25,000. He left $100 to each of his three adult children, the children from his ex-wife, and the remainder went to Minnie, his widow. It's not clear how contentious this disagreement was, 
but there was animosity between Beekman's widow Minnie and his adult children by his former wife. Differences of opinion about how Mr. Beekman's estate was divided. William Beekman passed away on March 18, 1908. Just a few weeks shy of the one-year anniversary of his death, his widow Minnie and their four children died. In the early morning hours of February 26, 1909, Mrs. Calderwood, a neighbor of the Beekman family home, was awakened by a bright glow shining through her window. She got out of bed and peered out the window. To her horror, the Beekman's home was on fire. Mrs. Calderwood hurried to wake her husband. Mr. Calderwood jumped out of bed. Wearing only his underwear, he ran across the field towards the flames, toward the Beekman's house. When he reached the burning structure, the heat and flames were too intense to enter. He shouted the names of each Beekman family member, pleading for them to come out. Mr. Calderwood hoped maybe the family escaped to take refuge in a barn or outhouse on the property. He ran over to those buildings, but was disappointed when he found nobody inside. Other nearby residents joined Mr. Calderwood. Mr. Burgess, Al Swafford, Elmer Lieb, the Miller family all tried to raise the Beekmans. They rushed around the inferno frantically, looking for a way to enter. But there was no sign of life from inside the fully engulfed house. Hope was raised when someone mentioned that maybe the Beekmans ran to a neighbor's. Mr. Lieb grabbed a bucket, filled it with water, and threw it on the wall of flames. And when he did, the fire ever so briefly subsided, just enough for Mr. Lieb to get a glimpse inside. When he did, he was able to see the bodies of all five Beekmans inside. That's when Mr. Lieb turned to Mr. Calderwood and said, quote, we need to look no further. They're all in here. When the flames finally died down, those standing on the perimeter could see into the smoldering structure they could see into the one bedroom where the entire Beekman family slept. There were two beds. One held the bodies of Minnie Beekman and her two youngest children, and the other bed on the other side of the room held the bodies of her two older children. All five Beekmans perished. Minnie Beekman was 40 years old. Her children, Vera, was 14. Raymond was 11. Annie Mabel, age nine, and Arthur was six years old. The only remnant of life from the Beekman family was their little pet dog that somehow made it out alive. This was 1909. There was no fire department, especially out there. There was in Bakersfield, but not way out there. There were no fire hydrants. Heck, I don't even think they had running water. From what I can tell by the Bakersfield Californians reporting, it sounds like the fire just burned and burned until it burned itself out. 
By the time the sun rose, word began to spread about this tragedy. Nearby farmers and their families started showing up to the scene. The fire started around 2 o'clock in the morning. The first government official to arrive on scene was Coroner McGinn. He got there about 9 a.m., seven hours after the fire started. It took that long for word to get back into town about this tragedy. Kern County Sheriff Kelly, accompanied by a deputy sheriff, a court reporter, and a representative of the Bakersfield Californian, got on scene shortly after the coroner. All of those people who got there the same time the sheriff did rode out in the sheriff's car, all together in his car. Securing a potential crime scene wasn't even a concept back then. Curious neighbors stepped through the charred debris alongside the officials investigating. The Bakersfield Californian reporter looked on mere feet away as Coroner McGinn examined the bodies. The first article published in the Bakersfield Californian about this story described in grotesque detail how each body was discovered. While the sheriff and coroner were conducting their investigation, neighbors sifted through the debris looking for anything of value that may have survived the inferno. Found were some toys, a broken doll's head, a children's bank that contained a nominal amount of change, a coral necklace, picture frames that held disintegrated family photographs, and melted silver that once was jewelry. The neighbors promptly handed over these materials to the undertaker on scene. Coroner McGinn was eager to investigate and solve this case. After examining each body thoroughly, he held an inquest right there on scene. He impaneled a jury from the neighbors who had gathered, who weren't witnesses. McGinn swore them in right there on the Beekman's property, near the still-smoldering ruins. The coroner's jury listened intently as witnesses were questioned about the events surrounding the fire. Mr. Calderwood, the first person on scene, gave this statement. Quote, my wife awakened me in the night and called my attention to the fire. I rushed half-dressed to the Beekman home. The house was engulfed in flames, but I could not think the occupants were inside. I was wild as I rushed about the premises, calling their names. I called and called in vain. Elmer Lieb came about five minutes after I reached the house, and together we looked through the burning boards into the bedroom. We saw the children lying in their natural positions in their beds. My God, Sheriff, I can't control myself. I thought I could tell you about it, but I thought so much of Mrs. Beekman and her bright little children, unquote. Mr. Calderwood was overcome with emotion. The strong, rugged farmer broke down in tears after giving his testimony. Mrs. Beekman was regarded as a protective mother. That's why they were all sleeping in one bedroom, so she could keep a close eye on all of her children. 
Nobody could believe that she'd be able to sleep while her home burned. Everyone who knew her said she would have woken at the slightest hint of danger. When Coroner McGinn examined her body, he noted her skull was crushed and what appeared to be blood pooling around her head, staining the mattress beneath her body. He believes someone struck Mrs. Beekman over the head while she slept. Someone rendered Mrs. Beekman unconscious before setting the house on fire. He also noted that a watch was found with her body. Taking this into account, the coroner dismissed robbery as a motive. Despite this, the fact that it appeared Mrs. Beekman made no effort whatsoever to protect her children, the coroner felt very strongly that this was a case of murder. Coroner McGinn wasn't alone in this line of thought. Sheriff Kelly also believed this was a criminal matter. After surveying the scene, Sheriff Kelly said, quote, murder has evidently been done here, unquote. Another piece of information that was brought to light during this on-the-scene inquest, two days prior to the fire, the Beekman family's large watchdog was poisoned and died. After considering this evidence, the investigators dismissed it. They established that the dog was vicious and not well-liked by neighbors. That may very well have been the reason somebody would poison it. Coroner McGinn adjourned the on-site inquest until Monday morning. A chemist and physician would have time to look over the weekend, over the evidence, and conduct autopsies. Over the next two days before the coroner inquest resumed Monday, this tragedy was the talk of the town in Bakersfield. With both the sheriff and coroner expressing their opinions that someone murdered the entire Beekman family was disconcerting to the citizens of Bakersfield, especially the close-knit rural neighborhood off of South Union Avenue. This story was the topic of discussion at markets and barbershops, even at the churches that next Sunday morning. Nobody overtly accused any individual by name of a crime, at least not publicly or in newspapers. But it was certainly implied that people felt that the animosity over the division of Mr. Beekman's estate was a factor in these fiery deaths. On Monday morning, the coroner's jury was reconvened Two doctors who conducted the autopsies on all five victims were able to present their findings. Both doctors concluded that all died of asphyxiation caused by smoke and poisonous gases. The doctors stated the remains were too badly charred to ascertain if any of them had wounds. As for Mrs. Beekman's crushed skull, the doctors suspect she suffered the injury from a ceiling beam falling on her head. This most likely occurred after she was already unconscious, after she had succumbed to the fumes. The doctors were unable to determine if the stains on the mattress were blood stains. 
This inquest was lengthy and stretched into the afternoon, threatening to conflict with the funeral, memorializing the Beekman family. Several of the witnesses at the hearing were excused to attend the funeral. The doctor's findings seemed to sway Sheriff Kelly's original opinion about their deaths. Initially, on the morning he investigated the scene, he stated he felt the Beekmans were murdered. But after listening to the doctor's testimony, Sheriff Kelly admitted the deaths now appeared to him to be accidental. However, District Attorney Laird wasn't convinced. He said the doctors presented no evidence to dispel his theory that foul play was involved. He said he educated himself extensively about these types of deaths. He made this statement, quote, I believe that in 99 cases out of 100, that it would be impossible for a family to be overcome by gases and smoke and die as the Beekman family did, unquote. Remember, this was 114 years ago. Today, we know that to be absolutely false. An entire family can die from asphyxiation caused by smoke inhalation. The theory that the Beekmans died in this manner is both reasonable and extremely plausible. The coroner's jury didn't take a firm stand either way. They didn't fully support the doctor's conclusion, but they didn't dismiss it either. They just didn't render a verdict at all. The jury simply said the Beekman family came to their deaths by unknown causes and recommended the district attorney continue investigating the matter. The funeral was held at the M.E. Church. At that time, it was the largest funeral Bakersfield had ever had. Attendees filled the church to capacity. When the procession left the church for Union Cemetery, five carriages led the way. As it wound through the streets of Bakersfield, businessmen and laborers alike paused in their tracks, removed their hats, and bowed their heads in prayer. All five Beekmans are buried at Union Cemetery near William Beekman and another Beekman child who died in 1904. The conspiracy that the Beekman family met their demise by murder was fueled by the press at the time and a willing district attorney, a DA who refused to accept the opinion of medical experts. It's not his fault entirely. We've come a long ways in understanding the science behind fire and fire-related deaths in the last 114 years. No arrests were ever made, and no suspects were ever publicly named by the authorities. But a lot of people in Bakersfield had strong opinions about this story. The Beekman estate went to probate. It was divided evenly between Minnie Beekman's heirs and William Beekman's adult children. It was estimated the entire estate totaled between $25,000 and $30,000. Resources used for this story, the Bakersfield Californian. I'm Robert Peterson. Thank you for tuning in to listen to this notorious Bakersfield story. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with a new Notorious Bakersfield story. In the meantime, 
Stay safe, stay out of trouble, and don't become a future Notorious Bakersfield episode. Have a good week.